0: Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Mark. Nice to be back, Patrick. We've been we've been off for a couple of weeks, yeah. but but no one knew <laughs> me, until world, I just told
1: them the world of podcasting.
0: I love that because we we just drip those shows out there. Today we've got a uh, calling in uh, from Texas. I've heard of it. You've heard of it, uh, good friend Douglas Crawford, but we'll call him Doug. Doug. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Good morning, uh, Mark and Patrick. I want to thank you for taking the time and uh, having, giving me the opportunity to reconnect with 805 in perhaps the most uh, significant and enjoyable way I can without having to get on an airplane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I was, uh, before the show got started, I was telling Patrick that you and I met. Uh, interesting. We met at Dallas at uh, the NAB show for uh, kids, that's the uh, National Association of Broadcasters. It was before they went back to Vegas. And I remember you walking up to our booth at Wavefront saying, you need to have your software on my computers or something (laughs) about as bold as that. Uh, And that was go good 30 years ago. So
2: uh, th- 31, if I'm not mistaken, I think it
0: was 85. I'm. I was never good at math. <laughs> but Doug, you've Doug, you've you know you have a long history in the 805, and and a long history in in business, and that's what I I wanted to talk about today. You know, we've got uh, it, it's so interesting the way careers evolve, and you're the guy who's kind of talking in the ear of the guy, you know that chief lieutenant who's there advising CEOs. And I thought it would be an interesting conversation to think about the person who's listening to this show is is either at the beginning of that business career and listening to get tips and tricks or they're kind of towards, you know, the end and they not, maybe not the end, but they've already accomplished and they're thinking of maybe doing what you do. So I, I think that's the path I'd like to go on, but I wanted to start with what, tell me about your first business job, not the one working in the lumberyard, but the first job where you, you know, it was a serious business job. Tell me about that.
2: So I got uh, drafted uh, in 1968, 1969. I was uh, in the Army Honor Guard at Arlington Cemetery, not because I wanted to be, but because I got drafted. And uh, Military gave me a sense of how to care for other people, and it's kind of get cover of the other person's back and understand what's good for the, the common good is really what's, what's good for the unit. Uh, after coming out of the military, I was given the opportunity to become an officer and, and go to Vietnam, and I opted out of that, decided to uh, go into business. And I was hired by uh, an employer that I'd had before I went in the Army. I was doing auditing for Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. And auditing uh, agents who were out in the field. And so I was really having to deal with kind of the bad guys in the insurance industry, Mm. the ones that were Mm. were taking money. But I was given an opportunity after passing some or completing some assessment tests, uh, which I'm a big believer in, by the way, uh, because they helped me understand what I was good at and most likely to succeed at. And it gave uh, Metropolitan hired me to uh, be able to do employee benefit plans for small businesses and help put those together so it was a sales training that it gave me and it also gave me a great understanding of how to talk with and work with and help uh, small businesses uh, entrepreneurs uh, for the most part and uh, that progressed and i so i think what happened was i was able to deliver checks to people who had fallen on hard times, bad things had happened to them. Uh, there was a death in their family. We had key man insurance. We saved businesses. And so for seven years, I was uh, in in that kind of insurance uh, business. And I think uh, it was the greatest thing that happened to me because it gave me a real sense for learning to listen to what people's needs were, to be able to prescribe a solution for them and to be able to deliver uh, uh, an economic uh, um, support for their business when something went wrong. So uh, at that point I learned that that, that I always needed an insurance person to be a friend. Mm -hmm. So I think, and and I took that, you know, from a career standpoint, I think that I took that throughout uh, my career of of making a friend at every company I talked to and, and trying to be a career builder for them.
0: Explain that career builder. Sure.
2: Well, yeah, well, every, everyone is making decisions in whatever job they're doing. Um, and it, the more decision opportunities they get to make, the more conservative they typically become because, because they don't want to take risks of, of making bad decisions and, and being asked to go elsewhere. So the key is to be able to become a friend of that individual and to be, gain the trust of those individuals and treat them in a way as though, they, you know, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So so that was something that uh, I think you're, I'm, I've become a career enabler by helping people and not setting them up for failure, not telling them that they can do things that we can't get done, but making them reach for the stars while keeping their feet firmly planted on the ground.
0: So let me see if I have this right. So you're an outside person coming in to sell something to somebody, and you want that person to trust you to buy that thing and that as a result of buying that thing, their career is improved, not diminished. They didn't. Is, yes. it, is that it?
2: Exactly. And a good example, uh, the the first meeting that I had with you, just as you described, was at NAB in, uh, in Dallas. One of my uh, co I was director of sales for Edge Computer Company at the time. And one of my, my uh, uh, co-founders in the company ended up knowing a lot more about what uh, what you all did, and he knew I was in California, and he said doug you've got to go visit these people, which resulted in a discussion that I had with Larry Burrells about uh who their prospects are and why those prospects might need to uh, have higher performance computing at a lower cost uh for the rendering and so forth and and Larry just happened to mention uh, Disney. and that my so my first meeting with the uh, uh, uh with Wayfront was really as an edge. Uh, director of sales for edge and larry and i met with uh, roy disney who said he wanted instead of to doing uh, one animation every three years he wanted to find a way to do three animations a year um, and to change the way disney uh, developed those animations in the economic model which as you know you thanks to you in large part Wavefront uh, successfully got that account and uh, and and basically ended up offering me a job to come in and head up business development and international.
0: You'll appreciate this, Doug. Uh, two years ago, I successfully transferred the entire Wavefront archive, which was 2,000 artifacts, which was everything from postcards from Steve Jobs and Christmas cards to trinkets i'd gotten from you know people in japan but the thing that comes to mind is the crew shot including two uh scenes from oil spot and lipstick which was the first disney (laughs) computer animation it was two minutes long and you Uh remember that i mean there was because uh it was signed by roy and uh, that went into the collection, and it's now at the University of Minnesota in the Charles Babbage Institute. So it's now it's and, and, part of the history. Okay,
2: I, well, I know you're interviewing me, but I, can I ask a question about how, how did it... How, oh, is this how, how it's it going to be? I, okay, it, kids. How did it end up there, and I want to go see
0: it. Uh, uh, L.A. SIGGRAPH. So, kids, SIGGRAPH stands for Special Interest Group in Graphics. Um, that, was a, uh, that was where... For very many, many years, you we would go to this trade show in the summertime. Everybody in computer animation, starting in the late 70s, uh, would go and we would showcase all of the new things we'd been working on. And L.A. SIGGRAPH, which is the largest chapter, uh, two years ago I got a letter. They had um, been selected uh, for a $5 million grant from uh, the Charles Babbage Institute. Which Charles Babbage Institute had gone out to a bunch of organizations saying, "We have these archives. We want it. We're collecting things having to do with computers. If you think you've got a substantial collection, you know, please uh, compete for the grant." Uh, SIGGRAPH, being Southern California, being the kind of the epicenter of computer graphics, uh, won that grant. They sent out a letter to hundred pioneers. I was one of those. Said, "Hey, do you have any boxes in the garage of old stuff?" that you would like to donate. And I said, as it turns out, I've got a, an entire storage locker. I have literally everything from the very beginning of Wavefront all the way up until 95, 96. And uh, they said, oh, really? And I, so I went to the storage locker, took a picture of it. They flew the archivist out from the University of Minnesota we spent two hours. We got through three boxes, and each thing I would pull out and says, "Oh yeah, this came from so and so," and "Oh here's, here's the poster when Metro won the first Academy Award for visual effects," and you know it just it's story after story after story. And he goes, "I'll we'll take it all." And I go, "Well, there's boxes of T-shirts and hats," and he goes, "We want it all. We want a, a slice of time of what this looks like, so you can go to the University of Minnesota." Charles Babbage Institute and in the main hall, I think the collection, the, the very visual, very recognizable pieces of it take up six um, huge uh, display racks. It's, it's actually quite remarkable.
2: God bless you for doing such a great job at Wavefront in those kinds of ways. I'd, I'd actually had the animation group at Disney give me a copy of Oil Spot and Lipstick. Oh, they wow. They, y- y'all, came to, y'all came to dinner at my house after a SIGGRAPH. Um, I think it was in 86. Uh, I don't know if you remember the head of uh, animation at that time at um, at Disney. I can see him. I can't think of his Dave name. Dave English. Dave English. Dave English, exactly. But then I lost that in the tea fire when our house
0: oh, burned down. Oh, jeez.
2: So at any rate, I'm going to Minnesota. That is something I will do, and uh, I'd be happy to give you a report, take pictures, and, and and so forth. So thank you for that information. Oil Spot and Lipstick won the uh, award along with the uh, Pixar piece. I think they we, they shared the, the victory, yep, right? Yep, at, yep, yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, back in the day, you know, when pixels were this big. But, you know, si- since that time, you have gone on to work with a lot of different companies. And in fact, for many years here in Santa Barbara, back before it was uh, popular, there was an incubator. Um, I, it was called Santa Barbara Technology Group. What was it? It was exactly. Yeah, SBTG. Exactly. Yeah. And now, uh, there's nine incubators in the region. We just opened up a huge one up on, uh, on State Street, and things are going great with that. I have a question for you. For that small business entrepreneur, what, what is it that you find so interesting working with those guys? Because I do well, as well. I'm curious what, what yeah. your take is.
2: I think vision, the idea that people have vision and no fear and a belief uh I, I relate that to my spirituality in a, in a huge way people become very spiritual about uh what they believe in and what their business goals are and how they're going to make a difference and make a change and uh, so my my goal in working with those kind of people i've had, i've had i've been part of teams uh, two teams that did an ipo um, both wayfront and then Blast, uh, which was the first uh, directional map company on the internet that got uh, went public and got sold to Microsoft in in 2001 and became Bing Maps. I was head of president of uh, what used to be Magellan geographics which is maps.com now tripled the size of that comp tripled the size of that company and got uh, an opportunity to uh, Uh, sell it to Rand McNally. However, the the chairman of the board decided not to do that. I'm sure that much to his chagrin because that was not a good decision. Uh, But the idea that we have vision and technology and kind of a spiritual commitment to a purpose greater than ourselves for doing something is the main reason that I like uh, dealing with um, uh, small business people and helping them scale their businesses and achieve their objectives. And uh, you know, beat the competition.
0: We've talked. We've had several takes at this specific question, which is: Do you think that um, entrepreneurialism is—is is it nature or nurture?
2: Uh, well, it, it is. It's—it's it's certainly uh, in the DNA of people that that are not uh, fearful of making mistakes and, and failing at something so that they can try to uh, correct course, if you will. So I think that that is definitely a part of nature. The, the nurture thing is if people are giving them the opportunity to, uh, uh, if they're good listeners and people are giving them the opportunity to uh, be discerning in, in the way they approach uh, forming a new business and they realize the value of people that they surround themselves with, I think it's both. I guess is the answer, nature and nurture.
0: You, you because you mentioned good listener. This is the third time you've mentioned that, and I'm a, a big fan of that. Do you find that the the younger people that you're working with now? I'm going to say the twenty somethings that are you know, just getting going. Are they good listeners?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. The interesting thing is, the ones that are going to succeed are good listeners. Mm. They have a tendency. Mm. They have a tendency to have a real a millennials. They have a uh, an, an attitude about life uh, that uh, they are good listeners. But they they in in their discerning process, it's much different than the hierarchical um, approach that uh, I'm far more accustomed to. You know, starting with the military, for instance, and why metropolitan do you, life and, why do you and think American that Express. Is? Well, I think it's a they, they've lived through what we would call perhaps the most tumultuous times in, in the uh, 20th and 21st century. Within the past decade, uh, we have seen uh, uh, 9/11, we've seen Enron, we've seen uh, the financial industry, we've seen politics, we've seen chaos in the world and terrorism. I mean, you know, what is there to be encouraged? I think Bernie Sanders. <laughs> when we think of you know, what what uh, they don't know what good capitalism is all about because they haven't seen it. It hasn't been happening in the last decade,
0: and so consequently, they're listening for it.
2: Well, they're listening. They're listening, but they are very much more discerning. They're not buying many of the hype. I think. Um, I I I have one example of you know the idea of people quitting smoking has inspired uh, vaping as a new industry. So one of the be be vape happy dot uh, com one of, is one of my business coaching clients right now. And he went from zero to a million and a half dollars in a year and a half. And he was like, okay, Doug, help me, help me first of all, show gratitude. I said, well, why is gratitude important to you, Mike? And he said, because I don't feel that I have really a good grasp of why I've had this kind of success. And, and, you know, so again, he, he when I, when I've got, um, millennials hiring me to coach them from a business perspective they are asking questions that are not the ordinary questions hmm. that's not one that's not one I would have expected to get so he literally spent a weekend traveling with me to places where we would be able to listen to great people talk about um gratitude
0: so let's talk about and listening is <clears throat> listening is interesting if, if someone's asking really good questions have you found uh, that they uh, these younger people you're working with are asking questions differently when you said they're more discerning that implies good questions
2: yeah I think I think a good example of, of how do I show gratitude a totally a total jump shift in the types of questions that uh, that we're, we've read books and heard about in the past if we if we it's more like they're influenced by Christians and you know, you know the tremendous man, a professor at Harvard, uh, wrote the Innovators Dilemma. Um, he, it, it, it's it's more about uh, how is it? Oh, and and conscious capitalism,
0: uh, right? Written right, by, right. You know, McCa-
2: it, it, it's it's more that they are asking question, different questions. Then the uh, typical business questions that, you know, I was on the board of directors there for the California Coast Venture Forum and the California uh, Clean Business Summit uh, Business Forum uh, for years. And so when we would interview um, uh, presenting companies, we had a a template script of the kinds of things that we thought investors would be asking. And that that there became a tipping point where there was very, very little value. I mean, really, venture forums kind of went, uh, went the way of the dinosaur in in terms of uh, the communication methodology that is being used by investors and entrepreneurs today, um, and and the types of questions, you know, today we have nonprofit corporations, corporations that are not for profit. Uh, that are, are you talking doing about social,
0: are you talking about B Corps and social capitalism and social entrepreneurialism? Yeah,
2: yeah, the, yeah, the, the four the four points of the bottom line now, including, um, uh, it, you know, including. Um, uh, are we contributing to society, and are we doing so in a clean way?
0: The triple bottle uh, line stuff.
2: Yeah, and going to quadruple now too. So I mean, really? So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it, it, it's a generational uh, jump shift in the way we think about things, and it's proven. Texas is now, for instance, the biggest oil-producing state in the country It's now the biggest uh, has has more uh, wind power. Uh, than any other state in the country, 23% of the energy here is being generated by wind. And who, yeah, who would have guessed that kind of a jump shift? Right. Right. So, so the types of questions that they are asking have more to do with, uh, I think, you know, kind of the art of community. Right? I mean, the idea of, hmm. of better, 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 uh, more meaningful, more sustainable solutions. And I don't just mean in sustainable uh, engineering and, and the environment. I'm talking about things that uh, it's still good to have things go viral. It's still good. Th- you know, a lot of the technology that has enabled this and and a lot of what has happened in the society that has facilitated these changes. The questions I am getting from them most often now are how can I help people live longer? Um, how can I p- help people stop smoking? Uh, how can I cost transparency? I'm just giving you the, the primary uh, words that uh, those are all three of my clients one young man is an audiologist. He's decided he's going to change audiology and hearing by integrating digital technology, digital audio technology and hearing technology to help 40 year olds and 50 year olds hear better and be instantly connected Bluetooth wise anywhere they go. And they don't have to go sit in an audiologist's office to make that happen. So the audiologists come to them and the audiologists come by and meet with them every once a month. And it's gone so viral that the idea that People are now getting to ask questions about how do we help younger people stay healthier and live longer. Hearing, it turns out, is uh, uh, five times uh, a probability of dementia, two times higher probability of, of Alzheimer's if you have gone seven years with hearing loss and not done anything about it because of the brain atrophy that takes place. Mm. So, wow. uh, Yeah. These are these are young people that are, are thinking more consciously about about uh, uh, a sustainable life, improving business. Another client is uh, Pratter. Us Price Matters, cost transparency in healthcare, so that you can you know it's kind of the the price line of uh, for healthcare. You put in your zip code and up come all the prices, costs, actual costs. And not list prices, but cost actual costs incurred by people in those zip codes for 600 different procedures. So you know before you go in, what you, what you know you wouldn't buy a car without knowing the price. You wouldn't, you know, buy groceries without knowing the price. Why do you do that with your health care? Kind of a mindset. This so, so, this so, is
1: that's this is a big question with millennials uh, that I've that I've seen. There's a couple of videos out online right now with um, uh, a young journalist trying to figure out how much it's going to cost him to have a baby with his wife. And it takes him months. It takes him the entire pregnancy to get to figure it out. Well, to get anybody to give him a price of how much it's going to cost him to have a baby.
2: Yes. Oh, Patrick, you've just it's a bullseye. Twenty five percent of the bankruptcies in the United States year after year are families who are going bankrupt because of health care costs.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's just, uh, the the like, the one video that I saw that you can, of course, everybody could Google it, but it's just, like, he he keeps getting different numbers, and, and he says it's the most common procedure that any family goes through. Right. You know, it's the right. most, there are this many births in the country. It's the most common thing there was. You can't tell me that you don't know what that's going to cost, or at least give me a range. And they just, they, the, yes. they, they wouldn't even answer his question because he was just an individual. He wasn't a... Uh, he wasn't a group he wasn't a, a a provider he wasn't you know he was just he, a person he, exactly
2: asking. he wasn't he wasn't an insurance company or a provider right. and the reality is reality is that um, a maternity is one of the biggest cost overruns of anything now because because the health industry is so afraid of natural birth the cesarean section is much less dangerous mm-hmm. for them, much more invasive for the patient, but much more expensive, but natural birth has higher liability risks mm-hmm. so so attacking those things that are hurting families most the kinds of questions i'm getting are how can i help and then how can i scale because the lifestyle for millennials is very important it's not i don't want to build a job for myself i want to build a business and i don't want to be working 72 hours a week or 6 to 7 days a week i want to and i don't want my people doing that so how can we systematize and how can we process and how can we scale our businesses is the, the biggest thing. Millennials are so different than, uh, than Gen X and, and baby boomers to Gen X.
0: Doug, I'm just coming off of uh, producing TEDx Santa Barbara, uh, which went great. And it's all about ideas. O'clock. It's ideas worth spreading. And one of the things that's interesting there, it's, you know, we're, we're all, we're talking about how can I help? How can I scale? How can I, how does this idea that I have, how does it have global applicability, not just in my own neighborhood? And then how do I, how do I scale that idea up? And I wonder, I wonder if there's a TED effect here of, these young people, you know, being inspired and listening to these and thinking, gosh, is my idea big enough? Can I, is it going to help enough people? Am I making a big enough difference?
2: So global is the bigger challenge today than it was in our day, Mark. Global is things are moving so fast now that everybody has access to the internet and governments are getting engaged. I just came back from a study tour of Israel that was one of the most eye-opening fourth dimension experience of my lifetime. And what I learned while I was there with, uh, in Israel, you know, a clear and present danger at all times. One of the right, gentlemen that right. was on the trip, trip with us happened to f- fall down some steps the first night we were in Tiburon mm-hmm. and uh, t- Tiberius, sorry, not Tiburon. Um And, and, um, uh, Within three minutes, there were two guys on bicycles there, and within five minutes, a, a woman appeared with uh, uh, medical stuff. It, it was like they have eyes in the sky. Uh, nobody was around us when that happened, but they have, um, you know, their, their, their equivalent of our CIA and uh, their their high-silicon graphics, their equivalent of our silicon graphics, um, are so inwardly tied together that they are fat, far exceeding our our U.S. capabilities to do that, the same thing. I've just been appointed a regional director on the, at the Naval War College for cyber defense and uh, raising money to try to get better uh, cyber defense activities going at the Naval War College. Uh, peace through strength um, is, is kind of the thought process. But the idea that, uh, that young companies can go global, I think, is much more challenging today. Uh, the big opportunity for, for that, if there is one, are relationships that span ideologies and oceans. And if you have relationships, and I think relationships are what make the world go round, and that's, you know, like, as we've talked about earlier, I think if there are, when, uh, the TED idea in my mind is, how can you partner with people in other uh, geographies and other lands with common ideals, ideas, ideals, and objectives, and knock it out of the ballpark so that when you're doing the development, most development is done for local um you know you're you're validating your products in a, in your local market as opposed to a global market but so i think that there needs to be a better way of doing that and there's technology that enables it i that i won't go into detail on this call regarding that but that there are very good technologies that i think are very enabling for global initiatives and partnering
0: do you think these uh, that, young entrepreneurs are getting out enough <laughs> Um, I mean, there's something about getting on Well, there's something about getting on a plane and going out and, you know, getting dumped into an airport where everything is different. You and I both, you know, spent many, many years doing that. And I don't get the sense, at least of the young entrepreneurs I'm meeting, that they're getting to do that, or there's even the opportunities to do that. And they feel like, They've got a good sense of what's going on just because they're, they, they are globally connected through the Internet, yet there's something that, you, that doesn't give you. I mean, when you're you know, eating the food and, and stumbling around trying to find your way, there's just the, the virtual uh, experiences just don't make up for that.
2: So a couple of guys came to me uh, when I was in Santa Barbara, you know, I was actually had my office for years at the Santa Barbara Technology Group. And a couple of young guys came to me and wanted to uh, talk about uh, putting together a business that where young people would be taken to other countries to actually live out what it was that they were trying to do here in the United States. Uh, this particular group had to do with um, uh, music, like uh, Abbey Road was one of the uh, recording studios that they would engage in and do these things. I think that the answer to your question is a a very strong yes. I just talked about a fourth dimensional experience because i had i've learned so much over the years about hebrew history and you know it's it's instrumental in our country it, it's the the foundation of what our laws have been written by and everything but i'd never really thought it was an important place to go or see until i got there and and having known as much as i did about what took place there actually living it was a fourth dimension experience and i think that becomes not only mind expanding but relationship development you have to be there to be able to walk a mile in their shoes to understand what they're facing um and perhaps no more no place any any more more so than in israel or in the middle east right now so yeah i uh, there may be a ted idea or, or business opportunity in just facilitating that kind of uh, uh situation there are a lot of, of uh, uh, chambers of commerce that do trips, you know, sister cities, those kinds of things that still exist. But I don't think the millennials are, are taking advantage of that yet. They should be.
1: Do you think that's the, the pitfall of thinking that you can imagine? It, the, I think the internet and a lot of technology that's arrived to to this group that have, you know, the digital natives. Um, do you do you think that it's because they think they can imagine their way through everything? I mean, with all the immersive video games, with all the immersive experiences they can have online, Just just Google Maps alone, being able to drop to a street view, and, and, and look around Israel. Sure. Do you think that that, that is uh, maybe that they're being, um, I, I don't know, like the, the, a shroud or something is pulled over there, their, you mm. know, that they're being confused by by the abilities that they have through technology?
2: Well, I've got grandkids now too, and when I see them iPodding and talking to Siri at five years old, first thing <laughs> in the morning every day, you yeah. know, yeah, it's, it's both, it's both um, encouraging and, and frightening to me. Yeah. uh because i think that personalities get developed differently and comfort zones get developed differently yeah. um it, it depends on what they're looking at and what they're diving into so it's good it's good for peace through strength in terms of being able to uh, audit, you know utilize technology to stop lives from being lost in wars and and, and circumventing wars uh but the personality wise i think it I think everyone becomes uh, kind of self-absorbed as opposed to uh, engaged, like Marcus is, is talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely a difference there, a social uh, consciousness level.
1: Do you think they're at risk? Are we are we at a at a are we at a, at a precipice? I mean, are we are we at a place where where we need to be guarded against this? Do you think there needs to be a shift or a change or some kind of? Uh, I mean, in your you know opinion of watching the, the industry grow. Um, you know, and being part of, of the, you know, part of the business leaders that help grow, grow, you know, the technology world that we have now that we've inherited. Um, you know, would you go back and, and try to kick it in a different direction or kind of add some layer to it? You know, you, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, good. Great question. I, I think it's add a layer. Uh, you know, the I think what Ted has done historically, Mark, as you know, you're a pioneer at TED as well. Uh, I think that that kind of activity is adding a a very important layer and people are really engaging with it because they have that digital experience and that local experience, that local um, uh, in-person experience. Mm -hmm. But I think that the idea that I'm not not at all cynical, I have great hope for tomorrow, Mm -hmm. Uh, not because of anything that's going on in politics or economics or or global (laughs) stability, any of that type of thing, but because the United States has enabled the world in a way that no other country in the history of the world has ever been able to do with technology and the Internet. And the question, the biggest question I have is, what is our position in that in the future? And, you know, my goal uh, on a coaching basis is to integrate into uh, every business person that I'm coaching. I've got 13 clients right now, and they vary from companies that have done a uh, billion-dollar infrastructure roll-up uh, be bought into something like that down to a company that has no revenue yet but is is launching this cost transparency uh, perspective and every one of them that i'm I'm dealing with is the idea of values the idea of of what is your base foundation for the company the operating rules and guidelines that you're going to implement and it's 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 old as old as the Earth.
1: How do you solicit that from a from a new client that you're working with? How do you how do you get them to lay out those values?
2: Well, I I happen to be a a Christian businessman, and I'm at a stage in my life where my mission really is to uh, promote those kind of business values. You do not have to be a Christian to be a client. As a matter of fact, only one of my clients are Christian but 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 the idea is they know that if I'm going to be coaching them that I'm going to be coaching from that set of values and principles the way you treat people you know love your neighbor as yourself and, and how your people are treated and how your your market is serviced and how you're you're doing something good good and many religions have this you know it's, it's, it's whether it's karma or, or whatever the uh, religion uh, methodology of this is is that you're going to get more good out of doing good. Uh, evil is an opportunity to do good it's it's Mm. very simple so how is it that we do good in what we're doing and and they're they're open the millennials are very open to it because what they've seen is not what they want to be you know this last decade this last 15 years do you
0: do you get a sense uh, i'm curious um with the the kind of that know-it-all that youth has
1: <laughs> they think they've already learned it even when they haven't you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah yeah you know when mm-hmm. you come up hey grandpa you know yeah. it's like yeah no we don't do it that <laughs> anyway i got my phone now and i don't need you the and best
1: example <laughs> for me is when a is when a young a young person looks at me and, and tells me how good they are at something right just like after a day and a half of it or after like a f- just a few moments of it on the ipad it's that like that proficiency of like, I'm yeah. so good automatically. Look how good I am yeah. without even trying. And it's like, well, that's that's the bowling alley that's been uh, oiled to allow you to bowl more strikes. You know what I mean? Like, exactly, exactly.
2: So it's, a, again, a great question. Uh, sometimes the question is more important than the answer. Mm. And that's my answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the uh, first thing I do with every individual I talk with is tell them what, ask them what their biggest challenge is. And when you get people talking about their challenges, they're not in that kind of a mindset. Mm. You know, when you talk about your biggest opportunity, well, hey, I've got, you know, that's a whole different mindset. But if you can't tell me what your biggest challenges are, then I can't help you push those back. Mm. I can't help, I can't help identify what it is you don't know, so that, you know, you, you lose more. We don't know what we don't know, so we lose more in that mindset. And if they're not open to that kind of a dialogue and discussion, then i I don't think they are coachable, but I can honestly say I've never had anyone that's, that's seeking help. So people that end up talking with me are people that have usually already done some research. They've probably read a few books there's some good books out there about uh, how to scale your business and, and, you know, how to build a business not a job. and how job. And if they have read those and are talking with me, they have already realized what they don't know. And they, they need, they, we need systems that are in place. what are the best systems I can use to automate what it is I have found out is, you know, a good process that I need to replicate so I can scale my business. Mm-hmm. And so these people, these young people, have not led large groups of people ever. Right. And there are right. so many, yes. So so I think working on challenges, adre- identifying, the, getting those people to talk about what their challenges are is the key to the asking them those questions and then listening for the answers. So, and they will quickly prove to you and, and accept the fact that they really don't know it all.
0: So with your, you know, 40-plus years of doing this, of asking that question, what's your biggest challenge? Um, and and you've listened to the show, so you know I love threes.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and so my, my listener has been waiting for me to ask this question to try to figure out where the three is here. Could if you were to whiteboard out all the challenges you have heard through all your notebooks, because you're really good at taking notes? Um, mm-hmm. Would could could we put them into three buckets that you know you kind of know you're going to get some variant of these three?
2: Uh, yeah, I think uh, I've got an acronym that I use. I ask people what their what's no, Doug, you yet. don't have an acronym Okay,
0: hold it right there. Sorry, so sorry. Patrick, I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah Doug doesn't like long words. Oh yeah. yeah. He likes acronyms.
1: He seems more like an early millennial than a <laughs>
0: <laughs> And so we had uh we, we had, you know, these goofy sales awards one year and everybody got this Uh, kind of a gag sales gift and what we did for him was we made a we had a wooden plaque with a a wheel with a spinning deal on it with Mm. letters that went all around which was dial an acronym because anytime Mm. Doug came up with a new program there was this long name for the program but then he he always got it down to like four letters Mm. so now that I've called you out on that Doug what what are what are those letters that are gonna help us with our three challenges
2: I don't know whether to thank you or curse you for <laughs> VIP. <laughs> the the, vet, the visualization integration partners, our yes. VIP program, oh yeah. Oh yeah. With, with our new uh, personal visualizer product. That's uh, right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the, I, I had act. the hat. The
0: hat is at the University of Minnesota, <laughs> by the way. Seriously. Oh, I, it is. Well,
2: I don't know. If, I don't know if I told you. I lived in Minnesota on Lake Minnetonka in Minnesota. So I love going there. I'm going. Yeah. I am going to be there. Uh, the the acronym that I'm talking about now is and the SOFTY. and S O F T Y or I E? Uh, no, S O no, F T E. Okay. Five letter. You can't have more than five letters in the legitimate uh, acronym. I don't know <laughs> if anybody's aware of that. But, uh, it's a good, so, rule. It's, a good so, rule. Uh,
0: it's in the uh, Urban Dictionary.
2: So, soft, so, SOFTY, when we think about our business, defines every aspect of business. And if we think about it in terms of organizing your businesses under S, which is sales and marketing, O, which is operations, F, which is finance, T, which is team building, and E, which is executive leadership. That is the the key. And the question to answer your question, if I had to pick just three of those, it would be sales and marketing. Uh, most people don't know how to sell um, and or how, how to market and that's the biggest requirement nothing moves until something sells so the idea that uh, you've got to validate your customer uh, potential customer base and you have to be able to sell biggest question people have and it's one that I've you know kind of committed my life to and been very blessed to be able to represent and work with teams like Wayfronts you know which people thought it sold itself but uh, getting people to change the way they did things yeah. getting people to hear your message the the uh, other of course is financial and when I t- when I think about financial, I think so. That's about, number two. Uh, that's number two. Yeah, yeah. And the reason that I think it's number two is because you have to know how to sell it and who you're going to be selling into. And financial is you've got to know from a pricing standpoint. Mm-hmm. That some people say that's a marketing, dis- a marketing thing. But on the purchaser side, how do you make how do you make a hero out of uh, out of the person you're talking to at the other business? You better be able to model financially how it's going to be successful for them and how you're going to do a pro forma for your own business. Yep. So I'm not talking about accounting. I'm talking, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, and, and then the, the third one I think is the, the hardest one for me um, because I've always been blessed by being asked to join a team and or, or inheriting a team if I was president of the company. Um, team building is the, the perhaps the least against amongst millennials, um, the least, uh, uh, skilled, um, uh, uh, that, that people have. So sales, finance, and team building. Uh, if I were to have to narrow it down to three, I would say those are the biggest needs and demands that I'm able to serve.
0: And when, and thank you for that. Cause those, those really, I mean, that's the, i I think of this show as I want some takeaways and I want people taking notes and like, going and looking at these things is there a is there a go to book or a person or a place you think is uh exemplary on team building
2: ah uh. I'm going to need to think about the answer more because, as I just told you, that's the hardest (laughs) one. I think. Uh, Why do you think
0: I asked that one, Doug? Yeah,
2: right, right. Uh, You know, I think that uh, from the standpoint of team building, again, I come back to the golden rule. Uh, You know, I think I come back to uh, what our parents used to fear most for us is who are our peers? Hmm. Who are our peers? Who do we want our our peers to be? The wrong
1: or the right crowd. Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: There's yeah, there's and, we could talk for hours on on that specifically and who you, you know, you're known by the company you keep and all of that which is I, I feel I feel very fortunate to have gotten lucky enough to uh hang out with a, a Ted like group of people, you know, started 13 years ago and the kind of associations and friendships I've made there and the you might call it up leveling, but always thinking about you know, am I around people who are smarter and much smarter than I am, you are going to help me grow? And in turn, I'm, I'm in some way smarter than they are because I'm going to help them grow. And, and what does that look like? Um, on, the, on the financial piece, do you have a, and I love financial modeling, and I love working with clients to help them, like you said, be, be heroes. Uh, do you have a, a go-to person that someone could go look up and read?
2: Well, the person that I think everybody ought to be reading is uh, Christensen, Clayton Christensen. Got it. Keeping, keeping current on, on him. The other book I was going to mention was the Bible. And the, and the reason I bring this up is when, we ta- when I talk about team building today, I talk about an 84% better return on investment for new businesses that follow uh, the, the, the way we are taught to live in the Bible than, than uh, secular developed companies. And there's a white paper that uh, I believe in that's been developed that uh, that says that. So common denominators when you talk about team building, uh, it real birds of a feather have a real important uh, play in that. Not not from a talent standpoint, but from a personal who am I, why am I here?
0: Uh, and uh, I will I will leave us with a lesson we learned at TED 13 years ago when we developed. Um, intro Networks, which was the platform that kind of you know, took me from Wavefront into what I'm doing now. And Chris Anderson, as we were building the matching algorithm, he said that he wanted to help people who were coming to the conference make connections not on expertise or skills or experiences, but rather on values. And when we connected and found that we had shared values, the chances of us having a relationship that lasted longer than the four days we would be at the conference were um, staggeringly better improved. And in fact, that is that is truth. And I think in listening to everything you've said, you know, we started talking about relationships and we started talking about, um, you know, strong beliefs and the kinds of questions that you ask. And I've been a good listener for 48 minutes, which means... <laughs> We're we're at the end. This just went boom, boom, boom. Doug, just like that, just like all of our conversations. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, how how does someone, you know, if they're you've got thirteen clients, you probably could take a fourteenth or a fifteenth. But if if,
1: if if if
0: you know someone uh, someone was interested in in finding more and talking more with you at length about this, it could be they're a Christian businessmen and they're like, gosh. I I would love to have that kind of person in my life who is helping me. Um, how would they get in touch with you?
2: First, I'd like to say, even if they're not Christian business people, that they have a respect for you know the values that you just talked about with Ted. It, it's just that you. So so Doug Crawford dot com is my website, and I am my coaching system that I've selected is one that's called Maui Mastermind. Okay. Mauimastermind.com. Maui and, um, and I'd, I'd greatly appreciate uh, anyone's uh, visiting either of those sites and, and then giving me a, a call or getting in touch with me at Doug at Dougcrawford.com.
0: And that's exactly how they find you. I love. I love uh, those of us who've been around since uh, the doc when the dot coms were just started. We we're able to get our name yeah. dot com. <laughs> so, I'm I'm not Mark <laughs> Sylvester 365 uh, at Yahoo. So, uh, Doug, thank, thank thank you so much. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management, and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. And our podcasting partner, String Press. Uh, I just love working here. Um, the The audio is so good, and we did great recordings. And you know, we're we passed that hundred show century. You know? We did it. We did it. In fact, I got a text from a guy. I was I was off for a little while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He said that he drove from Arizona back to Santa Barbara. He listened to eight hours of uh, eight oh five conversations, and he loved the show. And I said to my wife, I said, God, who could listen to me for eight hours? And she said, I have all the time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, power, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Big thank
1: you to all those people who have listened to all 100 exactly. episodes.
0: Exactly. I, I totally appreciate that. The 805 Connect Project uh, is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. We just, we can't do it without your continued support. And we're talking to new folks all the time who want to mm-hmm. support the mission and mm-hmm. what we're doing. Patrick, how could someone who's, who may have heard about this conversation came into it how could they help us?
1: I, You know, m- uh, march into uh, the offices of whoever is in charge of the business that you either work at or own, and uh, tell them that they should become a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> there you go. We are, um, we are always interested and anxious uh, uh, and excited uh, to reach out and partner with, with other organizations that have a similar uh, frame of mind as the 805 Conversations, which is to bring communities together and give uh, business leaders an opportunity to uh, communicate with each other. So... Uh, join up, become a sponsor of 805 Conversations. Talk to Mark about that.
0: And I'd love to hear about you, um, what you think about the show and ideas that you might have for guests. So you can send me a note, mark at 805connect.com, and let me know what you like about the show. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.